Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we want to thank You as we, as we remember our, our blessed hope, the salvation that's, that's waiting for us on top of the, the salvation that You've already wrought for us and the salvation that You, that you bring to us day by day. Lord, in, in, in every way, our, our, our spirits, our souls, and our bodies, You are our salvation. And we thank and praise You for that, for the ability to, to be confident in Your faithfulness, to, to be able to rejoice in the, in the truth that You've given us to know. And Father, we pray tonight that You would continue to teach us and give us good reason to glory in You. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Romans and chapter 12. We kind of sat in verse 9 last week. Paul says in Romans 12 verse 9, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And we said last week, we, we spent all our time pretty much on that idea of letting love be without dissimulation. And, and the reason that we did that is because there's two, uh, two kind of fundamental issues and principles here that, that carry on down through the passage, and that is the issue of love and then that that inner man that we talked about, the thoughts of our hearts, the uh, our, our uh, thoughts, our attitudes, our feelings, all the things that are kind of going on inside of us, and we saw that it's not enough to to behave a certain way. That's uh, we we need to do that. But but the Lord is not satisfied that we just behave in a certain way. The Lord wants us to think and to feel in certain ways. And He enables and empowers us to do that. <laughs> Excuse me. So, as we come through verse 9 there, after we've talked about the ministry and doing uh, working for one another in the church and, and for the church, for the body, then he starts to talk about our conduct in general, and that begins with letting love be without dissimulation. And verse 10, we, we kind of glanced at, begins, be kindly affectioned one to another. And I, and I wanted to put those two together for us because that carries the same idea. He's talking about our affections, our, uh, our hearts, the, our feelings, our thoughts, and so forth. But what we kind of jumped over, and what I'd like to bring us back to now, is that second part of verse 9. In between letting love be without dissimulation and being kindly affectioned one to another, Paul says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And if you remember last week, we talked about understanding and reckoning our position like we learned in, in chapter six and, and seven here in the book of Romans as we were as we were coming along. And and particularly in chapter seven where Paul talks about those those sinful inclinations that he has inside of himself. And and we said if you're going to love someone in your heart, how do you stop 
uh, these these negative thoughts, these evil thoughts, if you don't particularly like somebody or they just kind of rub you the wrong way and that kind of thing. And the point is that we, we don't. Paul says that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That 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 sin and that wickedness and that negative uh, uh, kind of selfishness that turns us against one another in our that's always there. But the the uh, the idea that Paul tells us that he gives us is that when sin is present with me, it's not I. But sin that dwelleth in me, I am the new man. So when those when those thoughts come, we don't uh, uh, we don't dwell on them. We aren't uh, we aren't shamed by them. We simply put them off. That is, we recognize that that is not me, the mind of the flesh. We looked at all that last week. That. Um, so, so where Paul here says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, this is the context that he's giving us that in. It's, it's inside of us, in our inner man, in our hearts and in our minds. When, that, when, those, uh, when those wicked thoughts come in, we don't, we don't rest on them. We don't entertain them. We certainly don't uh, uh, revel in them. We, but we don't we aren't shamed by them either and we don't start uh, condemning ourselves we recognize that when I would do good evil is present with me and that if I would do good and I've got this evil that's present with me Paul says then it is no longer I but sin that dwelleth with me so I I Understand that I'm disassociated. I'm, I'm, I'm circumcised from that. The, the flesh is cut off and my spirit is free from the mind of the flesh now. And I can yield to the spirit. So that's the context. It's that inner man that, that Paul's talking about when he says, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. It's very similar to to when he told us, don't yield your members instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves to righteousness. So that's that's how we handle those those thoughts. Now, if you start uh, entertaining those things, and you start kind of sitting on that, and it and it feels good to be malicious and and uh, and all of those kind of things, and you start to start to revel. And well, now you've got some some repentance and some what Paul calls godly sorrow to work through, because you ought not be doing that. But when those things just pop into your mind, don't let that throw you. Don't 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 let the devil throw you with that stuff. You know as well as I do that evil is present with us. God has given us the victory. Paul says, Who shall deliver me, O wretched man that I am? I thank God through Christ Jesus my Lord. We've been delivered from those things, and we know how to deal with them. Okay, so abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And you notice how opposite those two things are. We, uh, we hate the evil and we, and we uh, attach ourselves to the good. Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness and faith and, and those things. So on the one hand, we, we turn from the one and we, we pursue the other. 
Verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another. And we talked about that last week. Paul, in Galatians there, he says that we, that our Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And that's the idea again. It's that, that position that we have. The fact that the old man is dead. Including the affections, the, the way that we feel, uh, that are, that, uh, in ways that are ungodly. Right down to our heart and to our feelings. So be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. So we are to to treat each other. He's been talking about dealing with one another as a as a body, and our relationship to each other as a body, and the the main focus of that is in uh, is in function we've been talking about you know one mem- member does this another member does that and whenever all the members put in uh, their part the whole thing works well but now as he begins to talk about our kind of uh, personal relationships with one another he changes the, uh, the 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 picture a little bit and now he starts talking about brotherly love and you know, the the most often used term of endearment that, that Paul uses, and, and probably the other New Testament writers as well, is brethren. That's what uh, that's what he calls the, the saints over and over and over again. It's brethren. And we are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we meet each other and we see each other, it's a it's it's a family reunion. That's that's what we do here, and it's a and it's a great thing. Now some of us, <laughs> some of us family reunions that that may or may not bring good thoughts to mind, but uh, but we've got a uh, we've got a godly family here, and Paul talks about uh, God of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, and that's us. So we are all we're all we're we're brothers and sisters. I like that idea. I think that is really cool. Um, he says, with brotherly love, be kindly affectioned one to another, in honor, preferring one another. When we know what this means, come over with me to Philippians in chapter two. In honor, preferring one another. He's talking about. What he exactly what he says here in Philippians and chapter two, he's talking about preferring one another uh, ahead of ourselves, putting the needs of one another before my own. And he the way he puts it is he says in honor, preferring one another. Now you know uh, in in. Life in society, there are different levels of of honor. People hold different positions. Uh, when you when you meet someone who's an important person or a, a person of high uh, rank or or standing, if you're in the military, for example, and you're of a lower rank, and you uh, come against someone or to someone with at a higher rank, you give them the honor of that of that position. And he's in Paul, so Paul says, in honor, we ought to prefer one another. That is, we all ought to look at each other as being worthy of our of our honor. 
above our own selves. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And he goes on to say, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And he goes on to give the Lord Jesus Christ as an example and says, Let this mind be in you. He set aside his own glory and condescended to to become a servant and a man that he might uh, that he might serve us God put himself in a position to serve you and me and if God can do that for you and for me then we can certainly do that for one another the uh, the difference in position there is far less uh, be, uh, in, than anything that you can see yourself as when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ and His willingness to honor us, to serve us, to, to think of us as worthy of honor and of, and of His own service. So, And that's what Paul's saying here. Esteem everyone, uh, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now again, when we we talked uh, last time, I think, or the time before, whenever it was, about false humility, and that's not what we're talking about here. Some people just go around naturally thinking everybody's better than me. Uh, But that's not what he's saying here. What Paul, remember, as we come into this passage in Romans chapter 12, Paul told us to think soberly about ourselves. Not to think more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly, which means not to think more lowly than we ought to either. To recognize who we are in Christ and rejoice in that position at the same time recognizing that it's in Christ and only in Christ that we are who we are and letting that uh, humble us. So we have a true view of who we are. I have a, I have a real view of who, who I am. And then we turn that around onto each other. And now I have a real and true and godly view of who you are. So now I understand that you are a member of the body of Christ. And that is someone who is worthy of honor and of my respect and and service. Uh, Back in Romans chapter 12. You know, when Paul Paul talks about us being new creatures, he tells the Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 there, he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The, we take that passage and we go, okay, that's, that's great. You know, we've got a critter flying around in here. Um, <laughs> and we go, hey, great, we're new creatures. I'm a new creature, yay. But Paul doesn't say that I'm a new creature. He says, you are. 
See, he tells, he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And the idea there is that he's telling every one of us how to look at each other. That's what he's, that's what he's getting across there. And that's what he's doing here. In, in Romans chapter 12, we started out in how we look at ourselves. And Paul says, soberly, that's the word. Then that begins to turn outward. And we, and we begin to look at each other the same way we look at ourselves. That is, in faith. I look at you, I see you, <clears throat> I know you by faith. Because I know what Christ has made you to be. And that's how we look at one another. In faith. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> be kind, uh, Verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. So we give one another honor. Verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So now uh, Paul turns here and, and you might think that he's talking about what to do on the job. And that certainly applies. But when Paul says in business, he's talking about the things that you do. Whatever it is that you do. Solomon says, as a matter of fact, you know what? Turn, turn over to Proverbs chapter 24. In uh, Ecclesiastes, which we're not going to, we're going to Proverbs, Solomon says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And that's the idea there. It, uh, not slothful in business. The, whatever it is that you have to do, don't be slothful. Proverbs chapter 24, you know, Proverbs... I. <clears throat> this is um, the the book of Proverbs is a is 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 one of my one of my favorites, and I, I like to to read through it as as often as I can. And there's a lot of good practical advice and uh, godly counsel. And I think I probably am drawn to it as much as I am because it 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 speaks to me in a lot of different areas in a lot of different ways and and not kindly all the time uh i find myself often in the in the in the pages of uh in in the verses of 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 solomon's uh wisdom and not usually on the right side of it or certainly not always on the right side of it so and and this idea of uh of, of being a sluggard or being slothful. Solomon's real big on not doing that. And i got to tell you, I personally am what you call a low-energy kind of guy. Um, I'm, not, I'm just not bubbly and hyper and energetic and ready to go all the time. It is, <clears throat> it is work for me to, uh, to do things. <laughs> I don't like doing things. And <clears throat> doing things is not my thing. But there's things that need to be done. So we do them. And and Solomon is a great encouragement to me. He tells me go to the ant, thou sluggard and then you you know the uh look at the ants. You can't do the right you, you know what you're supposed to do that that ant is doing what they're supposed to do. So that helps. Um Proverbs chapter 24, Paul says be not slothful in business. In verse 30, pick it up there. 
He says, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. So Solomon says you, you, can, uh, you can be slothful if you want to, but it's going, to, it's going to tend and lend to your own destruction and poverty. It isn't for our good to be, uh, to be lazy. Now what Paul is talking about is business in connection with, again still, our relationship with one another. And you don't want the, uh, the, the, the fruit of your labor to, uh, you know, to go bad and, and rot on the vine because you hadn't been uh, cultivating it the way you should. And again, I'm talking to myself up here. And, and that's something that, that needs to be uh, 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 always there. So, but Paul says, don't be slothful. There's a lot of different reasons that people are slothful, particularly in Proverbs, and we're not studying sloth tonight, so we won't go all into that. But um, if you find yourself uh, procrastinating, are you, a pro- are you a procrastinator? I am. I, I, I really am. Uh, so you know this this passage I take I take this passage here to be the to be the the the, the anti snooze alarm passage yet a little slumber yet a little sleep and I'm big on that snooze alarm too I, I love that snooze and uh, you know just let me sleep for another five minutes another ten minutes and you know what it never gets easier. And never getting out of bed, never. It's not easier ten minutes later. It's not. But the same thing is true in, in every aspect of our life and in our relationships. It's, you know, putting it off until tomorrow, it's, it, it, you're going to be in the same situation again tomorrow. And you know that, and I know that. So if it needs to be done, Paul says, do it. And don't be slothful. And he says, not only don't be slothful, back in Romans chapter 12, but be fervent. Romans chapter 12. See, he's going to meddle in now, but that's okay. Romans chapter 12. Verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now there you go. You say, how do I do that? How do I? He says, be fervent in spirit. Don't let your, don't let your zeal die. And that is your, your zeal for the Lord, your zeal for the things of the Lord, our zeal for one another, our zeal uh, to work and to do the things that need to be done. We, need, we, we ought to, again... Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Paul tells Timothy, he says, stir up the gift of God that is in thee. And the, the idea there is you take, if you ever, if you ever made a fire, 
campfire or in a fireplace or whatever. You, you get that that fire roaring, and, and and eventually after a while it starts to burn down, and you got those those embers there, and you got to take a poker, right? And you stick that in there, and you stir it up, and get those get those flames going again. That's the idea. Stir up that. Uh, don't neglect the gift that's in you, he tells Timothy. And here he tells all of us to be fervent in spirit. Why? Because we're serving the Lord. Getting out of bed is serving the Lord. Getting out and, and repairing the wall that's, that's breaking down. Or better yet, coming and helping someone else whose wall is breaking down. And, and and throw ourselves into into that, into the service uh, of the brethren. And to be diligent, to be fervent in spirit. Now that's if that's not something that comes nat- if that's something that comes naturally for you, God will love you. Because uh if but if it's not, you know, the Lord will the Lord will do that for you. He will uh he will keep you moving and and w- with rejoicing. And looking forward and always moving forward and getting the job done and doing what needs to be done. If you see a need uh, to jump in there and, 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 and help it, that the Lord will give you that spirit even if it's not in you naturally. As a matter of fact, Paul says, I'd rather glory in my infirmities and in my weaknesses because that's when the power of Christ is made perfect. You know, sometimes... You and I, as we grow uh, in in the Lord, and we see clear, clearer and clearer the distinction between my own natural inclinations and the Holy Spirit, we come to a point sometimes where we have to overcome our own strengths. And we think a lot about overcoming our weaknesses. But there's a point at which our strengths can be hindrances to us because those are the places where we don't think we need uh, the, 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 the moving of the, of the Holy Spirit in us. So even, even those things. So, so if you're weak in some of these areas, and again, as I read through you know, not just the book of Proverbs, but the whole Bible, I mean, there's, uh, there's, there's, you know, weakness abounds. That's, uh, you know, when it comes to my flesh, that's the message I get out of this book, is that, is that there is no power here inside this, inside this flesh. I, I need the Lord. You know, he, he turned and, and, and looked at the twelve after everybody else left him and says, you're going to leave me too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? Where else, who, who else is there? And that's where, uh, that's where these these inner uh, stirrings and thoughts and feelings and and these things that are inside of you, that's where they get they get touched and they get connected and they get affected by the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit uh, working in us by the by the crucifixion that we've learned about and the resurrection that that's yours and mine in Christ. So don't be slothful in business. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. 
So now we are... Uh, Paul here, these, these three things together, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, are kind of our, uh, our long-term, medium, middle-term, and short-term uh, approach to, to life. Paul says, looking out it, it, in, the, uh, in, the, in the long term, you've got a hope. You've got a hope of salvation uh, finalized and realized at the rapture. And Paul says, rejoice in that. And that is ever before us. So we go through life always with that before us and always rejoicing because it's always there and we're always looking at it. So that's the kind of the thing that carries us through in the, in the long term. Then he says, and by the way, you know that rejoicing in hope, that that phrase right there tells you more than more than any other, I think, what the difference is between your hope, Bible hope, and the, and the hope that the world talks about. Because when you're when when you're not saved and you're not looking to the Lord, you're just trusting the fates or, or whatever it is, hoping that something's going to happen. You know what that does? It produces anxiety. I hope this is going to happen. I hope this is going to happen. And you have no idea whether it's going to happen or whether it's not going to happen. And, it's, uh, and, and, it, and it makes them anxious. That's what they call hope. Well, that's not hope. Hope is something you can rejoice in because it's sure. It's not, I hope it'll happen, maybe it will, maybe it won't. It's there. It's a future reality that we can uh, that we can grab hold of and 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 rejoice in. Uh, the, the book of Hebrews talks about a a, uh, a a solid hope that is the anchor of our soul. That's that's Bible hope, and so we we rejoice in it. You can't rejoice in something unless you're sure it's going to come. Me and Perry spent ten minutes before we started tonight talking about how great it's going to be out there, and and uh, and, and that's just a conversation that that just comes up at the drop of a hat, and for all of us, see that's that's uh, that's a great and, and 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 tremendous blessing that the Lord has given us that that hope that fills us with joy, and then in the midterm, in the meanwhile, we are patient. In tribulation. So we are able, because we rejoice in hope, and we saw this back in chapter 5. Come back there with me. Let's stir our pure minds by way of remembrance. Romans chapter 5. You know, we talk about patience, and what works patience? Tribulation works patience, right? But there's something else that works patience. Hope. Paul says, if I hope for that I see not, then do I with patience wait for it. If I hope, then I'll have patience. It's kind of kind of counterintuitive. You think if you've got a hope, something you're looking forward to, then you're anxious. You want to get there. But Paul says, no. If you've got a hope and you've got a true and solid hope out in front, that enables you to be to patiently wait. Because you know it's there. But tribulation works patience too. Romans chapter 5. 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope, there it is again, of the glory of God. So we're rejoicing in hope. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So there it is. So, now, now this is a uh, this is the genius of, of of the Lord and how he how he works in our lives to help us to work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Lord wants us to be patient in tribulation. So guess what? Tribulation works patience. Now that's a what a setup. That's a, that's a great deal. You can't get any better than that. Tribulation works pay. You're all looking at me like... <laughs> but here's the thing. We all go through tribulation. We're going to go through tribulation. Life throws stuff at us. It, it does. It always has. It always will. So here's the, the issue is not, am I going to escape the tribulation? You're not. Not the great tribulation. I'm talking about the trials in your life. So... How do you counter it? How do you deal with it? You gotta deal with it because it's there. You can either curl up in a in a ball and and pray for it to pass, which it it won't, or you can approach it with patience and endurance. And you, the the Lord makes a way to escape these temptations by enabling us to bear them. That's what Paul says. That's how we escape. By enabling us to bear it. So tribulation worketh patience. And, and that, that doesn't mean gritting your teeth and, and, and just you know, tighten it up until the thing is done. It means actually being able to go through the tribulation without getting nuts. Patiently Enduring, having peace. What is the, the passage starts out? Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And not only that, but we can go through tribulation with peace. That's that patience in tribulation. It's a peace of heart and of mind. Tribulation works patience. Verse 4, patience experience and experience hope. So not only are we to be patient in tribulation, and fortunately, tribulation works patience. So there's that kind of circular thing in the middle of this. But the larger uh, view here is that this passage starts with hope. We hope in the glory of God. And because we hope in the glory of God, we can glory in tribulation. Because tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And the whole thing starts all over again. And it's self-feeding and self-energizing. And it hope comes full circle that way as we go through tribulation. And every time we get that experience, that hope comes out stronger and that patience comes out longer. That's why tribulation works for us. 
and it's not something to be uh, to be sh- shrunk away from. I mean, we're not crazy. Paul says, you know, he says, I wish you all were like me except for these chains. You know, Paul wasn't a masochist. You know, who wants to go through uh, tribulation? But here's the thing. It's here. It's going to be here. And it works for us if we'll let it. If we'll respond to it properly. And we get better at it as it goes. We get more experience. And that hope gets brighter and brighter and brighter, and it builds up our our inner man and our spiritual life. Back in chapter twelve, so we are as we rejoice in hope, we are patient in tribulation. Paul tells, as you're turning back there, Paul tells the uh, the Colossians, he says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with might according to God's glorious power unto all patience. And that's the, you know, God's glorious power in time past when the, when, uh, when the persecution came, when the enemy came, it was fire from heaven. <clears throat> Destroy them. Now the glorious power of God works in you not to destroy the tribulation but to enable you to walk through it with patience with peace rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer now here's your short term attack you want to continue instant in prayer whenever you're whenever it comes into your mind whenever you come up against uh, something. Whenever you don't come up against something, whenever somebody comes into your mind, someone in the church, someone in your family, a loved one, a friend, whoever it is, whenever uh, a situation that you're that you're dealing with, any any time, any every time when something comes up, pray about it, right then and there, instant. In prayer, you don't have to wait until uh, until your until your prayer time, until your bedtime. You know, when you can kneel down beside your bed. I, I, you know, I, I hope you have a prayer time. If you don't, I would encourage you to, to, to do that. But you know, the Bible never tells us to pray long prayers. In fact, it, it's kind of negative on that idea. Not that, you know, just because that's kind of what the hypocrites do. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pray for a long time. You should. But sincerely. But the Bible doesn't uh, the Bible doesn't doesn't instruct or command us to uh, to, to have these these big lengthy uh, prayer times. It says be instant, be instant in prayer. And again, I'm not trying to discourage you from having prayer time. Have prayer time. It's it's if you've never done that on a regular basis for an extended period of time, do it and see how beneficial it is for you. But you're now here. You're just walking through your day. Just going through your day and things come into your mind and things come into your path and, 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 and things that you have to do and needs that other people have, pray about it. If you're thinking about it, you know, I'll, I will actually be thinking about someone or a need or myself or whatever and I'll actually say to myself, I've got to pray about that later. And what silly and what foolishness is that? Don't do that. Pray about it now. Be instant in prayer. So this is what, what, what Paul is giving us here is he's given us that long-term outlook. 
He's given us that that way to get to get through in the in the meanwhile, and he's given us the the, the short term plan. And what do I do now? Immediately, instantly, and it's prayer, and it's patience, and it's rejoicing, and that's how we walk through this walk through this life. It's a it's a fantastic and 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 wonderful plan. God has has laid out for us. He's given us a flow chart here. Go from you know from one to the other. Here's your long term goal. Here's your medium range goal. Here's your short term. So uh, practice that. Employ it. Work what Paul says here into your life. Verse thirteen. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Now. Paul's gonna gonna get into our money, and I just realized I ran out of time, so I'm not gonna. Um, yeah, distributing to here one one verse on this Ephesians chapter four. Distributing to the necessity of saints. Now, you know we could we could just talk about this for for the whole time. Um, you know that there is wisdom to be had in distributing to the necessity of saints. God expects that we are aware enough of one another's needs and honest enough with each other so that we know one another's needs and that by wisdom, through a selective process, not foolishly, but the, and, the, and the Bible gives us uh, ground rules for this kind of thing to what Paul just said, distributing to the necessity of the saints, of one another. Now, the way that Paul practiced that primarily was not necessarily within a body, but within the body of Christ at large. And churches took up collections for other churches and they and the gentile assemblies took up collections for the poor saints that were at Jerusalem and, and that kind of thing but that doesn't mean uh that this doesn't apply within the body Paul talks about the widow's role and if there's a widow among you who's a widow indeed that is she has no husband she has no children she has no nieces no nephews it's all she's all by herself and then he goes through a whole list of criteria if she's you know a woman of faith and, and known for good works and, and all of this kind of thing then uh, then the church ought to be ought to be looking toward her support and toward meeting her needs so there are there are all kinds of things like that in in Paul's epistles about distributing to one another's necessity you know the government has come in and uh, and very much robbed us of a, of a lot of that and that's a shame it's a shame and not only in our in our churches but in our families you know the uh I was I was I was talking with my, my time's up. I was talking with my mother not too long ago, and we were t- and, and actually it was a while back. Now we were talking about my grandmother who has since passed, and um, and I was talking about Medicare and that kind of thing, and and my mom was talking about how great it was, and I was taking the other side of the, of the debate. How could you how can you argue against Medicare, right? Um, and her and her argument was well, what would Grandma do without it, and, and my answer was, well, she'd probably be living with us, 
She'd probably be, be here with me, and you probably would be too. And we'd, and we'd probably do it the way people always did it for generations and generations. And my kids would benefit from, from you being here, and you would benefit from, from being here, and, and uh, like that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. <clears throat> Paul says, Let him that stole steal no more. But rather, let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So now here, we're coming in on just an individual, person-for-person basis here. And and Paul says, if if you used to be a thief... Take that again. Take that, that, that weakness and let the Lord turn it around and, and, and create a strength out of it. And, and don't steal anymore, but rather don't just stop stealing, but rather do the thing that's good and labor and then don't be slothful and be fervent in spirit and labor working with His hands the thing that is good. Why? So that... His walls can be built up and not have thorns and nettles growing all over? Well, yeah. But then beyond, Paul says, you know, you take care of your own family. You'd be worse than an infidel if you don't. First, they that are of his own household. But then after that, it, it can spill over. Again, with wisdom. As a wise steward, the man won't work, he shouldn't eat, and all of those rules that go with it. But the idea there is to be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, uh, desirous of meeting one another's needs, even to the point of uh, of getting out the crowbar into my wallet and you know all of, all of that kind of thing. Okay, we will leave it there. Pick it up there next week, Lord willing. Do you have a question?